exercise and our eating is, yes, yeah, really working well, it's going so well, and then other seasons where it's absolutely horrific, really bad. Anyway, um, a few years ago, I was in this season where it's going well, it's going good, and I, I happened to be into running, and I was... And I was like, ready, I'll be running up the Addington Road, so start around at the bottom. And anyway, this one particular time, I, was, uh, I just started running up the Addington Road, and I, and, I, and I came across a billboard as I was jogging up, and it had, uh, it had uh, something like this on it. Can you just show us what it is? <laughs> Not guaranteed. <laughs> Do you know what? As I was going up there, I felt really motivated by that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there, you know? And we're, <laughs> you can get rid of it now. Quick, quick, get rid of it now. <laughs> if there had been a bit more seasons where perhaps, you know, I, I wasn't the, actually in that sort of place, then it would probably have had the demotivational effect and it's gone, Phew. okay? <laughs> It could have actually said, no chance. <laughs> I think that would have probably been better, but it probably wouldn't have done so much more motivation. So. I think, isn't it, it's really important that we see stuff, we hear stuff that motivates us to achieve something beneficial. You know, we are people who desperately need lots of encouragement, something to aim for. You know, goals, aims, ambitions, they're really important. They're a really good thing, necessary for us. But we live in a strange world, don't we, of information overload, postmodernistic ideas. And one of the challenges that we face is knowing what are those kind of right goals, aims, ambitions for us to have. You know, we're so aware of the world's problems, and yet often we can feel quite paralysed by the reality of it into inaction. There's too much, you know, where do we start? What can we do? You know, I think it's excellent to sort of hear a little bit more about like, what regions beyond are doing. And then a few weeks ago, we had Samara as well showing for us. And, and it's great, because what I felt with Samara is that she, she showed, didn't you, how we could break through sometimes the constraints in our mindsets in order to make a difference. So, but the world's invitation is this. You can do anything. You can be anything. You can get anything if you just put your mind to it. But the brutal reality is that is not the case. The consequences of such a hard sell for something so idealistic is that it produces levels of great disappointment, disillusionment, dissatisfaction as our innocent but often wrong ambitions are eroded away at best and sometimes crushed at worst. So the question is how do we find what are good ambitions or aims and is it wrong to have the ambition of getting a six-pack? <laughs> In his book, The Twelve Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson, professor of psychology, states, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. And this, of course, is something that age wisdom proved time and again for, us to be tr- for, for it to be true. But it's really difficult, isn't it, for us to live by as our lives are increasingly crowded with both the allure of expedience, you can have it all, and now, and the temptation of often meaningless distraction, like through mobile phones, and Leslie pointed that out for us last week. But as Christians, you know, sometimes we think, well, actually, you know, I'm a little bit wise to this stuff. Perhaps our aims and ambitions aren't quite so worldly. Maybe wisdom has taught us to be a little bit more realistic, a little more measured, more careful in what we seek, how we seek it. 
You know, we're also aware, aren't we, that selfish ambition is something to avoid, that it causes quarrels, jealousies, all kinds of evil. And perhaps many of us, if we hadn't had our own ambitions knocked out of us at some time, have experienced the side effect of somebody else's selfish ambition knocking into us. And so, with the first-hand experience of being hurt, we can become particularly wary when we sense that there is ambition on the loose. But you know what challenges me is the Bible says, and of course the Bible that we're really encouraged to take hold of, absorb, be central in our life. It's full of exhortation to be ambitious, to be passionate, to be on fire, to fan it into flame what you have, to lead with zeal. Don't let your oil burn out, it says. Be sold out. Now the aforementioned professor... Mr. Pearson, who has a lot to say about the church, although not overtly professing as yet to be a Christian, or I think he probably is, um, <laughs> says that one of the main reasons why the 21st century church is dwindling is because Christians have stopped being all in for their faith. By this, I think he means that Christians are not willing to put their life on the line for their faith. You know, crunch moments come. And we compromise, we find compromise a little too easy, an easy option. You know, perhaps we've become a little bit more aware of the consequences of the risk of going all in. The consequences of failure just seem too high. In one of his recent online interviews with a Catholic philosophy professor and author, a guy called Peter Kreef, their conversation went to a place of considering this. What can Christians learn from Muslims, and what can Muslims learn from Christians? And their conclusion was that whilst Muslims could perhaps pick up more compassion, more flesh, as they put it, from Christians, modern-day Western Hemisphere Christians could learn from Muslims what it is to be more courageous. I can't help but feel to some degree that he is right. And if he is right, then it kind of should lead to the Western church, in the broader sense, being challenged to ask some big questions. How has the church allowed this to happen? Are we doing something at the moment that's kind of allowing this to happen? And what should we do to correct? Now, considering what it means to be courageous and how it may come about in our lives is even more topical today because it is Remembrance Day and it was great that we had the time earlier and gave thought to that. You know, But this is a day where we recall millions who went absolutely all in, all or nothing for the nation, having to exercise huge courage in the face of extreme pressure and difficulty. Okay, so if today is the first time that you've been along in the last few weeks... It's been a long introduction. Then you've joined us as we're walking through, it all makes sense now, hopefully, um, with the book, through the book of 1 Samuel. This book contains a number of big characters, exuding apparent strength, ambition, and courage. But as we've learned already, that may not be a, enough, you know, when the pressure comes. Last week, Natalie took us through the rise and fall of Saul, a man who, on the face of it, had what it took to be king. You know, he started off so well, but he ultimately collapsed 
when certain pressures came along, making some fatal errors, choosing in to give in, you know, gave in to what he shouldn't have. And then he was unrepentant about his mistakes and ultimately giving over to pleasing man more than pleasing God. The devastating outcome of those poor choices was not just leaving the nation that he was supposed to be responsible for in a complete mess, but saw himself being rejected by God as king. And the very end of 1 Samuel 15 says this, Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That is a really painful indictment, that God would regret making him king. So, from this particularly dark place of Israel's history, we're now going to pick up the story from 1 Samuel 16. So hopefully, Abby, if we can bring it up on the screen. Okay. The Lord said to Samuel, so 1 Samuel 16, we're going to go from 1 to 13. I'll I'll just read it out and then it'll catch up. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I'll show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab, who had a six-pack to die for, (laughs) and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, on his height, his stature, or his abs, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Just for a moment, can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine what it must have been like, the atmosphere in this place? You've got seven blokes who've all walked past the prophet, and every time the prophet's gone, No. (laughs) No. You kind of think, man, this is a place of big rejection. This is a place of a disappointment of confusion, 
of maybe anger and maybe some embarrassment. But Samuel's there. And he said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we'll not sit down till he comes here. Now, we've got not only seven rejected, disappointed, confused, angry, embarrassed blokes standing around, but by now they're also probably really hungry as well. And Samuel's like, no, we've got to wait. We've got to wait. You could almost imagine, couldn't you, that sort of tumbleweed (laughs) silence as they're waiting on David arriving. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. He also had a six-pack, but not as sharpened as Eliab's. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Wow. Wow. Do we have any HR specialists in the room? Yeah, Dan! Excellent. Dan, can I have a little bit of assistance, if that's okay? Can you, yeah, please, that'd be brilliant. Yes, thank you, Dan. Thank you. So, really, really important. It's really helping to be here, because I know you, you're about the only person I knew who is working in HR. So. This is where I myself. No, not at all. Not at all. Do you know, Dan, we've had some negative criticism about a number of the members of our global organisation. Apparently, there's a general lack of courage amongst us. Okay? I'm not sure how valid the criticism is, but I reckon like, if we're able to come up with like a sharpened, well-profile job description, you know, sort of identity thing, yeah, something that, yeah, <laughs> something, something that concisely captures our purpose, who we are, I reckon, I reckon it's going gonna, it's gonna to help. You know, I reckon it's going to help. Do you, do you reckon you're best yeah, suited? Do, Definitely yeah. can help me on this. Excellent. Nice idea about what people need to do. Excellent. It's really making it sort of Fantastic. Now, you, you, are, you are in, in the zone. Okay. So, I have here a couple of CV extracts, okay, for some quite prominent people. And I'm wondering, maybe we can use them to get a few little pointers, you know. Um, maybe a few little like accomplishments, a little bit of work experience, a bit of interest, something that, that's going to give us something to work with. I, I've got a bit of a problem. I must confess, though, I, I, I don't mean to be a bit ageist, right? But they're a bit old. They're a bit old. But they're, they're, they're 3,000 years old. <laughs> okay, so some of the stuff is going to be a little bit out of dated. But I, I think we should look at it. Okay, but you can help me refine this list. Okay, excellent. Okay, so here's the first. It's an, an extract from uh, a guy called Samuel. Mm-hmm. Can you just sort of read out this uh, accomplishment for us, please? Passed to death, King Agag. Pardon? Oh, can you not hear me? Sorry? Passed King? to death, King Agag. <laughs> he hacked to death, King Agag. Agag. And he's put that as one of those accomplishments. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? We only get that's going to be helpful in our... Uh, Possibly not. I mean, no. he probably like planned it though, so yeah. you know, he's probably good okay. at planning in some sort of way. Or planning, planning, yeah, planning. <laughs> it's really positive. You are definitely working in HR, don't you? I mean, crikey. Yeah, you've never planned hacking to death, King Egg. I think we should chuck that one away. I just think that's a bit too much. 
Oh, well, this is interesting. One. So I'm writing Samuel's CV. Can you just uh, read this one out for us? Takes a heifer on important business trips. Mm. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, takes a heifer. <laughs> what do you reckon? Do you know there's someone that we could use maybe to help? Well, it depends how useful the heifer is. Yeah. You don't find out what their skill set is. That's right, you're right. Yeah, we're not trying to be the heifer, I reckon, as well. We can learn that. Yeah. Probably not for today, though, I reckon. Not, not, not this time. Not today, no. I reckon, yeah. Oh, Excellent. Okay. All right, I'll tell you what. I like this one. I really like this one. I think this is going to be a good one. We're definitely probably going to keep this. Definitely. <laughs> good at meat prep and does excellent barbecues. Oh, Jay, what do you reckon? Yeah. So Should keep this one. Nothing else. If you yeah. get fed well, you can work better. So. Do you reckon? Uh, do you reckon that one? Let me keep that on this side. Do you reckon? Yeah, uh, on that side. That's sort of in, uh, in betweenish, you know. Yeah. So these definitely not. But that's that's still Samuel, yeah. though, isn't it? Oh, really? I don't think the head is that bad. So, the head, yeah, maybe we'll book it for a further interview. Oh, uh, ooh. ooh. What about that one? Mm. Learn to walk in fearsome authority. Wow. Bye. I think so. That's a bit I of a... I think he's, he's a bit scary in one sense. Because, one. you know, then you might be bringing people out of their comfort zone. But that's probably a good thing in terms of what they may yeah. need to learn, what they may need to... Blimey. I don't like the word fearsome, though. That's a bit concerning, well, isn't well, it? Well, you yeah. could look it in two yeah. ways. You could think, oh, fearsome is, like, really, really scary. Yeah. Or they could be very scary, but very, very good for you as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I right. taking you out of your comfort zone. Well, I think we should hold on to that one. I, I like I that. So. I think we should come back to that. I'll keep that one there. I'll keep that one there. I think that could do some good benefit for us. Ooh, it's another one. Samuel's got a lot to say for himself. He must to say. So what's on this one? Doesn't compromise when God asks him to do something. So what do you reckon? Throw it away, keep. Throw it away, keep. Right, that's a keeper, isn't it? I think we better keep that one as well. Okay, right. Well, Samuel, um, oh, we've got a couple here from this chap called David. Yeah, uh, oh, that's an interesting one. Come on, Tom. Tell me the truth. <laughs> His love has lovely eyes, very ruddy, and has great abs. Right, Darren. So you are saying what? You think we should keep? Definitely keep this one. I'm saying you're wrong, aren't you? You're, you're saying. <laughs> To say it depends on your preference. <laughs> depends on your preference. Okay. But, you know, okay. You can't go wrong with good eyes. Right. Okay. So possibly, so, I think so you're that's in the kind of like maybe, 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 maybe later. All right. <laughs> All right. The last one. Yeah. What about this one? <laughs> Excellent attending sheep. Hmm. <laughs> Frankly, that's a really, really good skill. Yeah. They've got really good skills there in that. They can teach other people and they can all kind of come together in different ways. Okay, that's yeah. That's a really yeah. ancient really. thing to say. Excellent. Well, Darren, you have been so helpful there. I reckon we've got enough here, haven't we, to make I some progress. So. so thank you so much, Darren. Let's give a shout of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Just give you that back, mate. Cheers. <laughs> Okay, right, good. So, we've got these three. Um, <coughs> God is our life coach, isn't he? He's our personal trainer. Whatever, however you want to see it, you know, the Holy Spirit is described as the counsellor and the comforter. Jesus is described as the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, God is active in our lives every day. And I believe it is God's plan our desire for us to grow and mature and become whole and learn ultimately how we walk in the fullness of Christ. So I want to use these examples that we've just taken from David and Samuel and ask ourselves a few challenging questions. So the first one, Samuel, he learned to walk 
in fearsome authority. It's clear, isn't it, from the passage that Samuel, he really did walk in authority. He knew what he'd been given and he knew and he just kept doing it. You know, perhaps there's a shape of that authority, I think, that sometimes makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable these days. And of course we're thinking back to the Old Testament and it's a different time, a different culture. But throughout the Gospels, it's really evident, isn't it, that Jesus walked in great authority. Not in a way that the religious or political environment actually expected or really even understood. Okay? In fact, it was that different that they kind of couldn't, well, they would just pff, reject it, reject it. They disregarded him because they couldn't understand how he was walking in authority. And then we go to Acts and the epistles and we see the apostles also walking in authority. It says that when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he spoke with authority. People were convicted. People were converted. The authority given to him by God was necessary to commence the building of the church. And we see multiple recorded accounts of Peter moving in that authority. Signs, wonders, miracles, healings, and a reverent fear of God falling upon believers. Exercised spiritual authority was necessary to create church growth then, and I think it is now. Question is, do you want authority? Do you want authority? If not, why not? It's a question we've all got to ask ourselves. If not, why not? What holds us back from wanting God to increase the authority that he gives us? You know, we've got to take it seriously, though. We've got to take it seriously. We don't need to look very far, do we, to see how misused authority is dangerous. Okay? And it can cause great damage. And I reckon perhaps churches have stopped seeking spiritual authority because of the damage that they've experienced through it, that it can bring. Sometimes, I think, as well, that we can get stuck with this sort of thinking Because we don't see the miraculous part of God's authority always working, it's not God's will for now. But I think we kind of have to be slightly careful with that conclusion. You could ask, why didn't God just raise David first and not even bother with Saul? Neil, when he started the series off a couple of weeks ago, talked about how the people really wanted a king, even though God and Samuel went to a lot of lengths to say, not a good idea, okay? But in the end, God gave the people their heart's desire, even though it wasn't God's desire. And perhaps, because God factors our decisions and our desires into his actions, Things don't always go God's way first time. You know, we can shake our fist at God, but God looks back at us and says, I'll let you have it the way that you wanted it. And then eventually, when God's way is permitted by us, there's a bit of a time-based process for growing a king. And in the same way, there's a time-based process for teaching the church how to then walk in authority. But spiritual authority is something given to us by God. 
If we're to seek first the kingdom of heaven, we are seeking first the authority of the kingdom of heaven. And I believe God will give it to us, but he will trust us with it, and to some extent that it will mean that we are also free to misuse it as well. So, fearsome authority. What was our next one? David, excellent at tending the sheep. When have you been asked or given to tend? Children? Marriage? Siblings? Job? Anyone that you could be responsible for? Studies? God's gym for kings is not in the places that we might choose. Tending the sheep can be boring, tiring, lonely, depressing, frightening, relentless, smelly. You know, just think about David's situation in all of this. He's probably also got no reward from his dad or brothers for the daily grind of shepherding. He's probably told, just be grateful for the food on your plate, and that's it. It's clear, isn't it, that they didn't think much of him. Just during worship earlier, I, I had this word, unworthy, and I had a sense that often, you know, we can feel unworthy. And in a sense, we are. But in another sense, God's declared us to be worthy because we're in Christ. So I, I actually just want to oppose this to everyone, anyone out here now. If there is anyone here, if you feel, you really struggle with feelings of unworthiness, I'm just going to ask you just to do a bit of a brave thing. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up right now, or, put, or stand up even if you are brave to do that. Because I just don't believe that is what God would want for us, okay? Is there somebody who struggles with feelings of unworthiness, to a point that it is actually really doing you in. Okay, would you be brave enough now to put your hand up? Anyone? Excellent, thank you so much. Guys, can you stand up for a second, if you can? Don't worry if you don't want to. I just want to speak this out over you, okay? Because Jesus declares you to be sons and daughters of God, okay? If you feel unworthy, that is cut off unworthiness off you right now. And anything that will make you feel unworthy, go in Jesus' name, okay? And I just ask God, pour out an anointing on your sons and daughters, on these guys, let them feel totally worthy. You know, in the midst of people around you who may be better than you at some things, not at others, feel totally at ease, okay? That is a declaration, be at ease with who you are in Christ, okay? Bless you guys. Character, the heart that God was forming in David whilst he tended the sheep was what really counted to God. Tending the sheep is the place that we learn to put God and sheep first, above ourselves. Tending sheep helps us slow down, focus, learn how to give attention to what's important. Really, how much do we need this now in this high-speed world that we're in. You know, I made mention of Peter earlier and how he had moved in great authority, as recounted in Acts. 
Peter, whom Jesus described as the rock on which the church would be built, who had been given the keys. But we know Peter's story as well. It wasn't kind of always like that, was it? He was ambitious, he was zealous, but he had the wind totally knocked out of him by his betrayal of Jesus. But Jesus restored him after his resurrection. But can you recall the very last recorded conversation between Peter and Jesus at the very end of the book of John? Perhaps the most important instructions for Peter to hear before he was to receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost 40 days later and then to start moving in the authority. What did he say? Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Peter, like any of us who carry ambition for the kingdom, we really need to hear these words as well. You know, it is our responsibility to tend the sheep. That responsibility will always remain, even if who or what the sheep are in our lives kind of change. But tending sheep creates compassion. It creates an understanding. It creates a sensitivity. And all of that is absolutely critical, isn't it? for authority to sit on top of. And finally, going to Samuel again. Samuel, he doesn't compromise when God asks him to do something. The passage is such a powerful testimony of Samuel, isn't it? It's such a powerful testimony of his willingness or unwillingness to compromise. He did not compromise until he completed God's assignment, despite all those pressures around him. You know, he had to face not only his own fear, but he had to face and stand up to the fear of man. What might people think of me? He had to stand in a place surrounded by big characters and basically reject them all in favour of appointing a person who most people present probably thinking, why him? A wrong step and Eliab would have been king. But let's just pedal back a little bit further to the start of the passage. You know, the task that God asked of Samuel was immediately recognised by him as one that was going to put his life on the line. Saul is not going to like this. Saul is not, is not only going to not like it, he's just going to cancel me. I mean, he's going to totally delete all my history. But what did Samuel do with his fear? He took it back to God. He went back to God. God's our Father. He is really open-hearted towards us. And he wants us to be open-hearted towards him. You know, we can bring our stuff to him. All our stuff, our fears, our worries, our dislikes, our likes. And God does an interesting thing when Samuel does this. God suggests a compromise. God compromises just enough so that Samuel still has to step out in faith, but is not totally exposed. God kind of knew where the limits are in Samuel. And he knew that if he didn't want to do this, 
it would just be a bit too much for Samuel. So God stepped in and said, okay, take the heifer. <laughs> Find where and when that we should compromise and where and when we should not compromise is a huge part of our daily walk, okay? And we slowly, don't we, God's wisdom for us in this. You know, and we need to keep asking for that wisdom all the time because we can't work it out so often. We need, what's the right thing to do now, God? I find it easy to compromise when it comes to myself, but less so when it comes to others. I suspect this is probably a challenge for most of us. You know, many of you know I became a Christian from a pretty horrible place of selfish hedonism. And throughout my walk with God, many of the things that I struggled with, the addictions and things that I've had, they've disappeared. But as God's righteousness works its way into my life, it becomes my righteousness, which is a good thing. However, a byproduct also kind of springs up expecting others to be as I am. Now, there's something really right about that, but something potentially terribly wrong about that as well. You know, we should have reasonable expectations on the people that we're responsible for, the sheep that we are tending. But those expectations have to be scaled and adjusted, don't they, and fit in with the circumstances and what God says. In any place where we have and walk in authority, if we get compromising and uncompromising the wrong way round, it could bring disastrous consequences. And as authority increases, so do the risks. In the Song of Songs, it says, it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. It's the little compromises here and there that run the risk of escalating into bigger issues if they're not addressed. But let's be really careful the issue of compromise is not always to do with obvious sin as well. You know, in the passage, it's more to do with following God's direction as he, as he, you know, as he, as he leads us by his Holy Spirit. Part of the byproduct of following Holy Spirit is that we are built up in faith, one step at a time. If we faithfully do what he leads us into without compromise, it strengthens our spiritual confidence. If we allow sin or the wrong compromise in, then it can damage our conviction, it can damage our confidence, it can damage our conscience, our heart. But you may think, well, why is this so important? We just come back to him and, and he forgives us. Absolutely right. However, if we look at 1 John 3.21, if we could just pop that up, please. Abby. It says... Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. If we want to break through into new places spiritually, this scripture, I think, is really important to us because God's going to set up opportunities but there's a condition here to the answered prayer. We have to do our part, ensuring that we compromise where we should and we don't compromise where we shouldn't. The thing is, we can't hide it because compromise errors get written on our hearts 
And it is our heart that gives confidence when we're standing in prayer and requesting before God. Okay, so, in summary, I started the preach with this comment that Christians perhaps, perhaps lack courage. We've identified three examples from the lives of Samuel and David that will certainly help shape us up. But I think actually the word courage is not quite correct. I think that courage is one of the characteristics that will be present when the church is walking in the fullness of Christ. But if we turn to 1 Corinthians 4.20, I think we need to actually nail what it is that we really need. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. It took David to faithfully tend the sheep. It took Samuel to receive the word of God and then deliver it in the right way at the right time. Then in turn release the anointing, ultimately fulfilling God's desire, which God then responded to through the Holy Spirit rushing upon David. Demonstrations of the Spirit's power through us faithfully stewarding what he's asked us to do is what we really need. It's what the world needs to see. You know, there are no other faiths that declare Jesus is Lord and King. The world, I believe, will only come to really accept and believe this when they see the King of glory shining through the church in power. You know, we should be excited and ambitious for this, but also sufficiently fearful at the level of responsibility it is no, responsibility, no small responsibility to be entrusted by God. You know, he's going to send us into enemy territory, armed with his word to set captives free. But the enemy will use what he can to come against us. We need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. So the final thing, we, went, we, st- we talked about a role profile. We talked about a job description, about an identity that I mentioned earlier. Is there one scripture, is there something that will succinctly capture who we are, our purpose and the demands of our job, kind of all in one? Well, I really think there is, and it is in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 to 2. So it's the last scripture. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You know, we're called to be an apostolic church, carrying apostolic characteristics, taking on apostolic responsibilities. We are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And in this, we are to be found faithful. What a challenge and what a calling. So I guess my question to us all is, do you want this? Do you want this? I think it would be a great time if, um, if, if you're okay, if maybe, I, I feel that there's a response in this. I know that we're maybe being a bit longer. Do you, did you want to say anything? Or should? So, um, I don't know if the, if the band would like to pray, but I just want to get you maybe all to stand up and just ask yourself this question. And this is a question I think that we should be asking ourselves on a continual basis. You know, God... Do I want more of you, God? Do I want to, would you, do I want to increase in the authority? And God, if my heart is yes, I do, then show me how 
what I should do to let that happen in my life. So maybe I'll just pray and then just be before God and asking, lifting this up to him. Father God, I just want to really thank you that you are our Father and that you love us. Thank you that your love for us is rock solid, is steadfast and true. Thank you that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. If, even if we completely mess it up, there's nothing that will separate us from your love. But Lord, we are hungry for your kingdom to come on earth as is in heaven. We are hungry that Jesus would be glorified, that who you are would be revealed. We confess that we don't walk in power. We need to walk in power. We need to be on fire for you. We need to have faith. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. And we ask God, would you come amongst each one of us? Would you speak into our hearts? Would you help us? Would you take us from one degree of glory to the next? Would you just move us on? Lord, we just, I, I surrender to you and ask God that you'd help me. And I pray that you'd help each one of us here. Um, to just know what you're saying for each one of us individually. Thank you so much, Lord. You're so good. Amen.